Palm Sunday. We don't really follow too much the church calendar, but um, it's a good teaching tool, isn't it, if we uh, follow it through uh, like that. Just added to uh, just with our school, we've had uh, approval now for uh, to start the new school next year at, uh, at West Auckland uh, in the facility we purchased here at Laidlaw, the old Laidlaw College. And uh, so for 400, so uh, once we get over there, we'll be the largest evangelical provider of Christian education in New Zealand. So phenomenal growth in Elam with Christian education has just been fantastic. Well, today, Palm Sunday in the church calendar, which is the Sunday before Easter, uh, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the Jewish calendar, uh, Easter would be the feast of the Passover. Uh, so that's remembering what they, they were slaves in Egypt and that they uh, took a lamb and spilt the blood and put it over their doorway. When the angel of death passed over, it passed over them. And uh, so they were protected by the blood of the lamb that was on their doorpost. And uh, that uh, the result was the end of 500 years of slavery in Egypt. And this was the point of reference for their existence. God often reminded them of it. Time and time again, you read in Scripture verses such as, you know, am I not the God who brought you out of Egypt? God is saying to them, come on, don't forget, I'm the one that delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. Uh, remember this, you know, remember what's happened. Don't forget about where you've come from. It's important to remember your history. And uh, so he reminds them over and over again of this in Scripture. And so the Feast of the Passover was the celebration of the fact that an innocent animal uh, gave up his life so that they could live. The Jewish nation, and even today, they're very careful to uh, observe all of their religious traditions, even things like the Sabbath day. Uh, a few years ago, Marin and I, we were uh, part of a group that went to Israel, and uh, we arrived about on the Thursday and uh, to a hotel. We were on the 13th floor. And uh, on the Saturday morning, we went down to get breakfast, and so the lift came and the doors opened and we hopped in. And uh, then on the 12th floor, the doors opened, nobody came in. And the 11th floor, the doors opened, nobody came in. Uh, 10th floor, the doors opened. Like this happened like every floor all the way down to the bottom. Like I was annoyed by the time I got to the bottom. And uh, so I went to reception and there was a, uh, a Jewish man there dressed up in all of his... Uh, uh, Sabbath closed and reading his, his scriptures, I said, sir, there is something wrong with your lift. It stops at every floor, even though know, there's nobody there uh, to let, to wants to come in, it stops at every floor. There's something wrong with your lift. He said, that is the Sabbath lift. They believe that by pushing the button and engaging electricity, that is work. And so, so, People do not have to push the button and engage electricity. They have programmed the lift that it opens on every floor on the Sabbath day all the way down from top to bottom. <laughs> Fortunately, they had two lifts and one was not the Sabbath lift. So uh, we got that one the next time. So as Christians, we don't observe the Sabbath day. It's a shadow. It's a picture of resting from our own works and resting in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the Sabbath rest, a place that we come into where we stop striving, stop striving religion, trying to, you know, please a God up there somewhere that's angry with us. We stop striving and we accept that we are sinners saved by grace. And then we rest in the finished work 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. But some of us come from uh, fairly strict uh, Christian backgrounds, and I'm sure many here do the same as I did. My dad was uh, very strict, and so Sunday was like a day where we did nothing. Uh, we never went to shopping on us, and the shops were closed anyway when I was that old. But even the dairy, which was open, we never went to the dairy, anything on a Sunday. You did not shop on a Sunday. You did not play sport on a Sunday. I used to play rugby league, and, uh, and the rep trials were always on a Sunday. And the selector said to me, look, he, he, I cannot put you in. The, if, if you turn up, you're in the team, but I cannot put you in the team if you don't come to the trials. Uh, but my father would never let me go to the trials. And so, but when I got a little bit older, I went anyway. He didn't know what I was doing on a Sunday, so I went anyway. But <laughs> anyway. But we believe in the first fruits. You give God the first. You give God the first of your life. You give God the first of the talents that God has given to you. You give God the first of your finance. We're here worshiping the Lord on the first morning of the first day of the week. We're giving God the first uh, in our life. Devout Jews celebrated seven main feasts. And these feasts not only remembered something in the past, but they also pointed to the future, uh, the coming of the Messiah. They were believed in the Messiah that was going to come and deliver them. And so they have a prophetic uh, meaning also on God's calendar, not just related to the Jewish people, but to the church. And so there's a prophetic mean, meaning for the church, but there's also a personal meaning for each one of us as well. And so the first feast that they observed was the Passover. Uh, Jesus was crucified at the time of the Passover feast. And so the first Passover, as we said, marked the release of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves here for 500 years. And so uh, as Christians, the Passover marks Christ. It's a really, Christ died on the Passover so that we would be released from our sins. We would have forgiveness of sins. Then they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And leaven, you put leaven in your bread, it uh, makes the bread rise. But they didn't have time. They had to leave Egypt in such a hurry. They didn't have time to put leaven in the bread and wait for the bread to rise. And so they made that a feast, a feast of unleavened bread. And so it is a picture of, in the Bible, that leaven is a picture of sin. And so making Jesus, who was out without sin, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Then they have the feast of first fruits, points to the Messiah's resurrection from the dead. He is the first fruits of all who will follow. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, one day you and I will also be raised from the dead to spend eternity uh, with Christ. And then there's the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Uh, this uh, occurred 50 days after the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the disciples were, the word Pentecost means 50. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and the Church of Jesus Christ was born. They spoke in tongues and God did an amazing outpouring of his Spirit. And Peter stood up and preached the gospel. And 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. And so these first four feasts, they have also been fulfilled for the church. But there were three other feasts. One was the Feast of Trumpets. And this is the first of the autumn feasts. And uh, so many believe that this points to the rapture of the church. The Bible says the trumpet will sound and Christ will appear in the clouds and the church will rise up to be with Christ uh, in, in heaven. And so uh, it is the Feast of Trumpets. And then the second one is the, uh, the Day of Atonement. And many believe that this prophetically points to the day when Jesus Christ will not just come to the heavens, but will come down to the earth 
and it will be the day of atonement for the Jewish people where they will look upon him who they have pierced and will believe in him, repent of their sins and receive him as their Messiah. And then the final one is the Feast of Tabernacle of Booze and many believe that this feast points to the Lord's return, that he will tabernacle, return to this earth and he will tabernacle again with his people to reign over the world. And so these feasts were really important, not just in the Jewish calendar, uh, but prophetically also for the church. And so we're talking about the, uh, the day here where we're talking about Palm Sunday. And uh, that last week that leads up to Easter goes something like this. The Sunday today was Palm Sunday. And that was Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the people were waving palm leaves as he came in. On the Monday, he went to the temple and he cleansed the temple. You know the story of that, the temple, especially in the court of the Gentiles, they had set up a whole lot of traders and money changers, which meant that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people like you and me, could not come and worship at the temple because it was filled with traders. And so Jesus went in and cleansed the temple. He wiped them all out. And uh, then he didn't kill them. He just chewed them out. Okay. And then on Thursday, there was the preparation for the Passover. Friday, there was the trial and the crucifixion. And the Sunday, Jesus was raised from the dead. So this year, uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to be crucified. And they're celebrating the Passover. The Jews don't recognize him. But he is to be the Passover lamb the sacrificial lamb who took upon himself the sins of the world. What they had been remembering all of these years was just a shadow of the real thing. Now the real thing, the real Messiah, Jesus, was there in their midst and they don't recognize him. This was a big moment as he rode into Jerusalem. So in Matthew chapter 21, let's read it, shall we? Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 11. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone sees anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd went ahead of him, uh, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus sends the disciples off to get a couple of donkeys. This may sound a bit strange, doesn't it? You kind of think, if you're going to be a king coming into Jerusalem, you don't want to be riding on a donkey. Like you think at least you'd get a horse, wouldn't you? You get something that'll look a little bit majestic, a bit more like a king. The Jews were ruled by the Romans at that time, and, and the Roman generals, a victorious Roman general, when he returned from battle, he had what was called a Roman triumph. He would ro- ride into, uh, into the city or back into Rome uh, with, on a chariot, and he would have all the spoils of his wall all laid out before him, prisoners, anim- exotic animals from the countries they came from. And to have a triumph, 
a Roman general had to kill at least 5,000 enemies. That was the conditions of having a triumph. But a donkey was the traditional Jewish way for a king to enter. King David did it, and it was prophesied that the coming king would. It said in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Instead of 5,000 enemy being killed for Jesus' triumph coming into Jerusalem, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 on the birth of the church that the number of believers, the number of people that had been conquered by the gospel and set free from the slavery of sin was 5,000 believers. That's what it says there. Jesus' triumph would be a victory over hatred, truth over error, life over death. So here in the story on Palm Sunday, the people responded in different ways to Jesus coming into Jerusalem. There are three different degrees of response. I just want you today, as we gather here today on Palm Sunday, and the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is in our midst. So as we come here today, and Jesus is in our midst here today, look at the response. There's three different responses of people in this passage here and see where you fit into one of those responses, okay? So the first one we have here is, number one, some took off their cloaks. First of all, the disciples took off their cloaks and placed it on the donkey, and then people saw what they were doing, and others took off their cloaks and laid them on the ground. And so the whole road was filled with people that had laid their cloaks on the ground, and the donkey and the people and everyone's walking all over them. A cloak speaks of authority. It's an act of throwing one's cloak down on the ground, on the ground was a sign of homage and, and submission. You're laying oneself down before the king that is coming in. A coat was something that they owned. It was something that was personal. It was a, there was a cost to it. It was something that they had an investment in that they were making into the kingdom of God. See, what does it mean for you to welcome Jesus as we begin this holy week together? What investment? have you made into the kingdom of God? See, the laying down of the cloak is a picture of you. When, we, when you met Jesus, you counted your life as lost. You, you laid it down before him. You say, God, I have got nothing to offer you. I'm just a sinner. I can only be saved by your grace. You're laying down all of the things that you thought about yourself that were important, that were great. You're laying it all down saying, God, there, there is nothing. There is filthy rags. There is nothing. You're saying, without a deliver, deliverer, I have no hope of getting right with a holy God. And the Bible says that when we do this, when, when we take off the old filthy cloak of our old life and, and we lay it down, the Bible says that we are clothed in a cloak of righteousness. Christ, Christ wraps his rightness around our wrongness. See, we see this right at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and, and what happened? God killed an animal and he made a cloak out of it and clothed them with the skin of that animal. I believe that that's what some of the people in this crowd would have been doing as Jesus came in that day they, and, and something that we are also still called to do today. We all have different ideas about who Jesus is, what he cares about, what type of life he expects of us, what he's calling us to. 
Some people come to Jesus and they say yes to Jesus and they lay their life down to him. God, I give you my life. Take it and use it in your service for whatever way you want to use it. I lay my life down for you. But others, as we hear the story this morning, some of us find ourselves in the crowd and we're shouting and we're praising and we're singing about Jesus. But when the donkey approaches and we catch a little bit of glimpse of who Jesus is, we kind of holding on to our cloaks. We, we don't really want to let that go. We don't want to lay our, our lives down because Jesus is not quite who we thought he would be. We thought he'd be coming riding as a king on a mighty horse and overthrowing the Romans, and he's coming on a donkey. And uh, I thought when I became a Christian that he would answer all my prayers, and I thought that becoming a Christian that I would prosper, and I thought when I became a Christian I would get a Mercedes, not a Ford. And and, uh, so, and then we find that sometimes it's tough. And sometimes the liberating Messiah that we were expecting is carrying a cross. And we don't want to let go of what we think about Jesus. We hoped what to be about Jesus would be true. But when we see him riding on a donkey and, and it's just not quite working out, we hold on to our cloaks. We hold on to our lives. We don't fully let it go. We don't fully submit it to his authority. See, it's when we let go of everything that we think about Jesus and who he is and what he's calling us to. We strip bare of our own ideas and our own ambitions. We lay it down to him. It is only then that we are free to receive him into our lives and all that he has for us. See, often in the case with Jesus, and it's like it happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem. When he came into Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple and overthrew all the money changes and made a mess of the temple. And so often what happens is when we open our lives up to God, the temple of our life, God comes in and he turns everything upside down and throws it all. We would say he turns everything upside down, but really he comes and turns everything up the right way. He comes and makes a mess of what we thought was the tidy little life that we were living. Secondly, it says that some cut palm tree branches. Notice the coat givers firstly were the disciples. These are the disciples put their coats down, but then others followed them. They'd come to a place of laying down their lives to follow after Jesus. Then the Bible tells us that people cut branches from palm trees and laid them across Jesus' path and waved them in the air as he entered there into Jerusalem this week before his death. They were greeting Jesus not as a spiritual messiah, but who would take away the sins of the world. They, they were greeting Jesus as a political liberating leader who would overthrow the Romans. And the branch cutters were people. They lived under this illusion that, that Jesus was coming to set them free from the oppression of the Roman people. And days later, when that didn't happen, those very same people were demanding that the Romans crucify him. See, date palms are majestic. They are tall, they grow in abundance around this area here in the Holy Land in ancient times. And and kings and commanders, they would be welcome. People would cut them and and wave them around and throw them down. But to cut a palm leaf and lay it down, it didn't cost a person anything. It was a little bit of effort. They had to get their knife out or saw out and cut, cut the branch off the tree. But it really didn't cost them anything, just a little bit of effort. It looked good, but there was no cost not like involved with the people that laid their cloaks on the ground and the donkeys walked on and the people walked on them and they got, by the time they picked it up again, it probably had holes in it and mud in it and stuff like that again. It wasn't, 
they, it looked good, but there was no cost. The coat givers gave the shirt off their back. The palm wavers, it was just convenient. Palms were everywhere along the path here. They just took what was convenient. See, we can be like this in our journey with Jesus. Most of us come along to church, we can wave our arms around in the worship service and the bag go around and throw a couple of coins in and we don't make any real effort. We've made a bit of effort to get to, get to church. But that's been about it. We don't want to be too committed. Sunday, waving my hands around, that's about my limit. That's as far as I go. But when things go wrong, then I'm doubting and then I'm questioning and, and I'm questioning God, just like these same people did when they came to the trial of Jesus. And then others shouted, Hosanna. They shouted, Hosanna, meaning, Hosanna means save now. Save now, they were shouting. Blessed is he who comes from the Lord, even the King of Israel. Do it now. Do a miracle now. We want deliverance now. We want our prayers answered now. They're not asking to be saved from their sins. They were asking that Jesus save them now from the dominion of the Roman soldiers. So you had coat givers. Secondly, you had palm cutters. And then you had shouters. They didn't give anything. They didn't cut anything. They, made, they just made noise. That was all they did. They just made a noise. The same people would soon be saying, crucify him, crucify him, as soon as they realized that he was not going to do what they wanted him to do now. One moment they were praising him, and the next they were mocking him. See, they simply represent how so often we fail, don't we, in our walk with God. We can be so committed to follow his word, and then certain times in our lives things don't go the way that we planned we, things don't go the way we thought they should go. We begin to question God. We begin to doubt him. We even sometimes begin to accuse him. They thought the kingdom of coming, but the kingdom was not of this world. See, the reason they could, with such vehemence, say crucify it is because they were disappointed. And the reason they were disappointed was because they expected God to do something that was not part of God's plan. See, what are you expecting to do, God to do in your life that hasn't happened because it's not part of God's plan for your life? What are you disappointed with God about? Where do you in your life think that God has let you down? What, what expectation did you have from God that it hasn't happened? See, what are you complaining to him about? You've got a nerve to tell God that he's let you down. You know, how dare we say that it's God's job to fulfill our desires? You know, how dare we say that? God doesn't work for you. God doesn't work for me. We work for him. You know, he doesn't work for me. It's, it's not his job to come and to fulfill the desires that we have. See, all of these folk, they lost their blessing because they said, Hosanna, do it now. And then later they turn, crucify him. See, your life then Jesus knew this, and it's not what people say about you. The Bible says that Jesus had set his face as a flint towards Calvary. He knew the plan that God had for his life, and one moment people could be praising him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the next moment they could be saying, crucify him, crucify him, but it made no difference to him because he knew the plan. He knew the purposes of God for his life. He set his face like a flint towards Calvary, and he walked a journey and we need to be able to do the same. We need to have the courage, no matter what people are saying to us, whether they're saying Hosanna or whether they're saying crucify you, 
we have the courage to stick to the plan, the purpose that God has for our life and to walk towards that and stick to the call of God. See, there were a few people left when he hung on, hung on that cross. They had the attitude, even though he goes to Calvary, even though he goes to the cross, yet will I trust him. Even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. See, I'm going to trust him even if they bury him. I'm going to trust him no matter what happens. I've set my face to follow Jesus. Those people became believers. They were the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ that was founded. See, here's our great challenge. It's not to be like the palm throwers and the lip service people, but to be like the disciples that knew what it was to give their coats, to lay down their lives, to follow after Jesus, knowing that he was going to die. They worshipped even though they didn't know. Maybe this morning you're carrying some stuff and you're disappointed with God about something. We've worshipped this morning even though we don't know the answer. That's what a true disciple does. That's what a true follower does. This means I give you my coat even if you don't restore the kingdom. It means that I give you my coat even if you keep just doing the same old, same old routine uh, in my life. That means I'll keep on praising you whether I get married or not. I'll keep on praising you whether I've got a house or not. I'll keep on praising you whether I've got money in the bank or not. It means that I'll praise you whether I've got a job or not. It means that I'll praise you whether I've got hair or not. You know, I'll praise you whether my hair goes grey or not. I'll keep worshiping you, you in my old age if that happens. It's not all about dollars and cents. It's about a purpose and a passion that we have for our life. But I encourage you today on Palm Sunday, stand, where do you stand in the crowd? What place are you in, in the crowd? Are you a shouter? Are you a waver? Or are you someone that has laid down your coat, laid down your life to follow after Jesus? Amen. Let's just pray. Thank you, Pastor Luke, for always the, the clarity that you bring when you handle God's word. It was such a good word. Your family, we never like to close without giving people an opportunity to know Jesus. Uh, because, friend, this is the truth. God loves you. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is to be in relationship with him. But the Bible teaches that something has severed that relationship between you and God. And that thing is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is simply missing the mark, missing the mark of God's law and character. And the reality is we are all in the same waka. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. Because God is holy, he cannot coexist with sin. And because God is just, there must be penalty for sin. And the Bible teaches the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death and judgment. But God is not merely just and holy. He is gracious and loving. And God demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And thus the wrath that God had towards our sin was poured on Christ. So we could be forgiven of sin, enter relationship with him, and walk into the purpose he has for us in our lives. So friend, if that sounds like you, if you want to know God, if you want forgiveness of sin, if you want to walk in the purpose of what you're created for, with every, with every head down and eyes closed, I want, you to, I want you to raise your hand. If that's you. Awesome, I see that hand. <clears throat> I see that hand as well. <clears throat> awesome, I see that hand too. 
Well, church, I ask you to pray this, to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I believe on the third day he rose from the dead. Today's a new day, and I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.